morning and welcome back to GFC Podcast. Your host, Caitlin Tai. Today, we have on Mary Parsons, who is Regeneration and Partnerships Director at Levels. It's great to meet you, Mary. And Joe, thanks for inviting me. You're very welcome. How are you today? Yeah, good, thanks. Enjoy the sunshine. Thankfully, summer's finally here, isn't it? <laughs> um, just um, to start off with, could you give me a brief elevator speech about how you pos- achieved the position you're in today? Um, as regeneration and partnerships there? Sure. I've been with Level two and a half, coming on uh, three years now, mm-hmm. uh, which was an interesting time joining as uh, a company sort of in between lockdowns with various regions still uh, locked down and unable to visit. Prior to that, I'd been 15 years um, at board level in uh, the housing association sector. So I'd worked on um, very large-scale developments and regeneration programs. So stepping into the role at Lovell, it was a new role. Uh, yeah. it, it was very different. Um, but it's been a fantastic challenge for me and just at the right point in, in my career as well. Did you find it hard, obviously, with COVID, with all of that going on? I know, obviously, a lot of people, well, everyone struggled with it, but kind of being in the midst of it all whilst. Yeah, I mean, it was a very strange period for me with my uh, former company. I was working a 12-month notice period, which had been triggered sort of before anyone had ever heard of, of COVID. And then halfway through, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're working remotely and I'm in the process of handing things over. So that was quite a, a challenging period for me personally to, to continue to still really be motivated and still feel part of a team. Mm-hmm. And then when I joined... Um, level in the October there there were some of the regions I was going around meeting the different teams and I couldn't go to Scotland one time and then I couldn't go to Wales and then you know they could come out of Wales but they didn't want to because we then went in lockdown so it did take a while and to become part of that that team to really get to know people face to face but actually you know I can't complain because I think um everyone was fantastic they were so welcoming yeah and whilst it probably took longer than it would traditionally do I'd I'd say the first six nine months was really still that getting my head around getting to know everyone yeah and the relationships that were formed during lockdown are are still as strong but I think it's interesting talking to um, a number of the regional MDs where you can see that actually some people that did join during lockdown particularly younger people perhaps didn't connect in to being part of the team in the same way, didn't have the same support and networks. And we've had a sort of higher rate of them moving on, mm-hmm. which stabilised again now. But I think it, it did, that bit of coming in and feeling part of something bigger and really getting to know the business and the culture and the relationships. Yeah. It was a strange time. I guess because, well, there's not like a pandemic has happened in our lifetime before <laughs> to try and kind of well, any company work their way around how to make people feel part of the wider company it must have been extremely hard but obviously thankfully we're at the back end of that now yes <laughs> but nearly but sorry hopefully no more pandemics to start a corner we can only hope but i think definitely some lessons learned and things we have had to learn as a business that has stayed there was a lot of stuff we did by necessity that actually it's good practice yeah um in how we run our sites and our projects but I think how we bring people into the business mm. and how we do make them feel part of Lovell and everything we represent is really important as part of the onboard. And it's it's not just understanding your role. Mm. It's that sense of having that support and everything around you as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess with anything like that, it's learning from not necessarily mistakes, but from your history sort of thing. So 
Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. And so with being a female director in a very kind of dominated business, how do you feel that this has impacted you? Um, if I'm honest, I probably don't feel any impact now. I mean, I, I think in fairness to Lovell, if if we look at um, the sort of composition of the board, we're around 40% female, it's not a big board, so it's not big numbers, but there's, there is a good balance and in the senior management team. So I think probably it was it was earlier in my career where there was a bit more of a novelty factor yeah. about it, you know, sort of going back 20 years, even 15 years. Mm-hmm. So I think we have seen massive progress. I think it's less of, of an issue when you get more senior roles. I think it's more of a challenge with some of the personal and, and other barriers as you're entering into the industry. I guess kind of. Well, just to do with confidence as well, kind of yeah. the, the older you get, then the more confidence you get. So yeah. kind of, and the more people that you meet and how you're able to kind of converse with everyone and anyone, kind of the older that you get. So uh, no, I, t- I totally understand kind of where you're coming from there. And it's obviously brilliant to hear that your board is uh, 40% female. So obviously you mentioned there that, well, just about the board, how far along do you feel that the diversity and inclusion is at level? Um, I don't think it's too bad, but there's plenty of room for improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even think it's the, it's the industry. I think it's across the board. So I think we're a lot better than some. Yeah. We're not as good as others. Mm-hmm. We're always wanting to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the real important thing is about how we embed it within the day-to-day business Mm -hmm. Um, and if we are really serious about being an inclusive employer which we are yeah then we we've got to really show that at at every level so I think some really good initiatives and work that that we're doing in different regions and across the piece but there's always room to to do things better is there any kind of examples that you could give or um, I mean, it, it's interesting. We're just in the process of doing our sort of employee survey. But, yeah. but when I joined a couple of years ago, um, Steve, the MD, gave me a, a lot of the data sets and sort of says, you know, have a read through the comments and everything. Yes. Just have a look and see whether you feel that there's any sort of recurring themes coming through or particular hotspots. And there were a few things that, that did stand out. Um not going to go down the sort of unconscious bias and, and all of that, but there was a sense of um, people building teams around them. We've had a lot of new people coming in, a lot of restructuring growth within the business. And as people have come in from outside, they've brought people they've worked with before. And I think there is that sort of thing, oh, I know I can trust them. They can get on with the job. They work really well. Yeah. But once you start to do that, there is a feeling, well, is there a bit of sort of club, clubs and mates and has yeah and you can start to have some people feel excluded through that so I think there were pockets you could you could see where perhaps that had happened I've seen it on a far bigger scale in in other organizations where a new leader comes in mm-hmm. and you get a whole new cohort yeah around them of people they've worked with before and I think that is not only difficult for people that might have wanted to come into the business but I think the people within the business feel pushed to the edges yeah um so I think there were some examples of that. Um, I think as as we were talking about sort of personal confidence, we've made really good inroads, um, for example, with encouraging more women into site management and senior roles. Mm-hmm. And 
I know talking to a couple of the regions, they had really good success with assistant site management roles. But then when they progressed up, mm-hmm. there there was less. There was more of a, an attrition rate and them, them sort of stepping out. Yeah. And part of it is understanding, well, is that a cultural thing within the business? You know, is it the, the environment that they're in on site? You know? But actually talking to them, some of it was their personal confidence. The, their sense of being able to go in and command respect. Yeah. Um, and so there are things that we can do within the business, but there's also that that support and development for them as individuals to yeah. feel that actually, you know, you can do this job, you've got it, and we're here to support you in it. Mm-hmm. I think, well, I know for me personally, a confidence is a lot. I mean, it it comes with life and through experiences and things like that. So the fact that you're able to give personal support as well as kind of support to say, yes, you two did a great job, really obviously will help whoever kind of give them that push to hopefully then move up, kind of further up the ladder. So I definitely agree with you there. Yeah, and I think there is a tendency. I mean, I've experienced it sort of big scale in, in my career. That, uh, and I know a lot of women in particular do have imposter syndrome. Yeah. But, 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 and it's not just you sit there thinking, oh, God, I should... Yeah. Yeah. I have had instances where I have, oh, like, the hell the heck did I get? <laughs> um, but it's also you start questioning what other people are thinking. Oh, well, she's sitting here because she's a woman. And, uh, you know, yeah. and that does chip at your confidence at times. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that is something having the right support to believe in yourself and believe in your ability. And actually, everyone has gaps. Oh. But having that right support and being honest where your strengths and weaknesses are, that is something that you do get with experience. But I've talked to a, a lot of people um, at different stages of their career and that sense of, you know, should I really be here? If <laughs> It might dull down a little bit, but it's always going to be there kind of throughout your career. Yeah. Personal and also in relationships. I think as long as you, you know, when you're continuing to progress and everything, you've always got that sense of when you take the next step or you're doing something a bit different, mm-hmm. that's when it, it creeps in. Yeah. Whereas you then get to the other edge where, and again, you know, decision to change roles and that when you don't feel as pushed and you don't feel as stretched and you, it's not that you're cruising, but you feel too comfortable. Yeah. And yeah. you're not making the best of your ability then. And, and there comes a point when you really realize that. Yeah. And it's been like, well, I've realized this and that I'm comfortable, as you say, but now what do I need to do to kind of push myself to, yeah. What's the next challenge sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. But then I guess with some people, they haven't got that motivation and that they are kind of just happy with kind of cruising along, as you say, which is obviously absolutely fine because we do need some people like that. Not everyone can be at the top, so. Well, exactly. And, and I think it's making sure, you know, that they still progress, that they don't stagnate, that they still get personal growth, they still get professional growth. Even if you love the role that you're doing. Yeah. And this was something in a former role. Um, and it was about the diversity piece. It was questioning why um, there was really good progression of the female in, into middle management roles. Mm-hmm. But then they left. And it's like, why are you moving now? Yeah. So what it, and I contacted, um, well, I stayed in touch with quite a few of them, but I really spoke to them and, and, and then I contacted others that had left. 
And part of it was how progression was defined. If you're in a very tight hierarchical structure yeah. and you, you're going up the ranks, what tends to happen um, is you sort of go from a project role into then have a number of projects and a management role and you then progress to a regional role and then you progress to a national role. Were you? And as you're working up, actually that was tending to coincide when they were getting to that level where they were getting the larger regional and national roles at a point when their children were young. I was literally just thinking enough, yeah. And so then making a work-life judgment and a value judgment and yeah. they're deciding, actually, I'd love to do that role. But... but I'd rather do more of what I'm doing, but in a smaller geography. Yeah. And so I think when we're thinking about opportunities to progress, you know, I mean, I, I have been really lucky with that. It's not been a, a sort of linear progression. I've ping-ponged around all over organisations and, and I've only worked for a small number in my career, but I've had a huge amount of sort of fluidity and freedom mm -hmm. to shape roles in all of them, in, included in Lovell. But a lot of people don't get that. And that progression, when it is that, that linear and you're going up, it is really difficult. And if we're really going to get the best talent and keep them in the industry, we've got to give that chance to progress up into bigger projects or to new initiatives or, you know, to do a different role and step to the side. Wow. Keep that interest and, and that passion and enthusiasm and that sense of you still progressing and not just, well, I'm going in and doing the same job day after day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And it's letting them know that, look, we're here to support you as a business. We want yeah. you to stay with us. You're doing an amazing job. How can we work together to help us both kind of work well, fantastically? So, yeah, no, totally agree with you there. And um, so, Talking more a little bit about you, um, what would you say your biggest achievement is today? Um, I suppose I'm getting to the age now where you can't say, well, I hope it's still to come. I did start in now by a few years to have built some up. I've been really lucky. I've worked on some amazing projects um, and partnerships with different people. Um, and one of the biggest satisfactions of the role is going back to a place that, that you've you've created and seeing it a few years in and seeing people living there and although it sort of coincided with my changeover of job actually during lockdown watching some of the places that I was creating and working on at the time mm -hmm. really come into their own for the people that were living there during lockdown so I mean there, there was a, a couple there was one in Birmingham where just following the social media of people that have moved in, they talked about that sense of community and, and part of the design, you know, the way the houses faced each other meant that they didn't feel alone, that yeah. they did feel part of something mm -hmm. bigger. And then the other one was up in the northeast. It was a really challenging uh, development on a former dockyard. And they had at the start of the BBC programmes, the lockdown disco, there was this block and you'd have all the, the neon lights and everyone. Yeah. And the residents did that themselves. So although they'd all moved into a block of apartments, really? they created from their isolation that sense of, well, we're still going to party and we're still... So, so, I mean, those were fantastic to see. It was a real sense of... I I held a bit honest. And I suppose it, at the other end... and. Um, and again, it was it was pre-lockdown, was being asked to be one of the commissioners for the Building Better, Building Beautiful Commission mm -hmm. um, because I was sat in a room and that was classic imposter syndrome, actually. Um, 
initially as an advisor, but then asked to step up to be one of the commissioners. And it was the most brilliant learning experience, I think, of my career. Yeah. It was a chance to talk to everyone across the industry. It was a chance to look at the best and the worst of development. It stretched me mentally and intellectually in a way that I hadn't before. Yeah. And then there was a lot of flack. At, at when it was announced, and yeah. actually, by the time the final report was published, um, which was end of January 2020, mm-hmm. the response from the industry overall was, well, actually, there's quite a lot of common sense in there. This isn't a, a debate about what's beauty and beauty is truth and truth is beauty and all of this. Yeah. This is about, we need more homes in this country. Why do people oppose development? This is about weather planning system. Mm-hmm fails yeah um and it, it was fantastic and actually the big vein of it which really came into its own with the pandemic to follow was really understanding the profound impact that the home and the place you live in have on your mental and physical health and well-being and everyone related to that in a way that we could never have planned with the commission so i think that was was a fantastic achievement for me. And I think it was one of the reasons why I felt, you know, I want to do something different now. I want to go into a different environment. I want to try new ways of, of doing things. So it gave me that push at a really good point in my career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that's, that's brilliant. I guess kind of going back to your first achievements as well, it must have been so good to be able to, well, it gets you through the hard days, seeing things like that. You feel like it's worth it in the long run. So uh, to keep on uh, persevering and uh, you'll get moments like that. So Well, I think it's true because I've worked on regeneration projects all my career and the, the only thing you know at the start is, that, well, there's two things. Number one, what you end up doing and how you end up doing it will be totally different from what you say at the start. As number two, however long you think it's going to take, multiply it by five, if not all times. And they take a long time. Yeah. It's really difficult to keep people with you through that process. But then when you see it there as a place Mm -hmm. and you see people living good lives in that place, that is something really as an industry we have to showcase more because housing gets really bad press. A lot of it justified, um, but a, a lot of it is a lack of understanding. And I think, you know, I do a lot of work with, um, I'm chair of the charity called Mobbing, yeah, which was set up by George Clark to get young people wanting to work in housing. And, and it was to get the quality of homes better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But it was also about getting those young people that are growing up in Minecraft to see, actually, there's some fantastic careers. But it isn't about laying bricks on a muddy field. It's about data analysts, ecologists, robotics, you know, for for that generation, the technology is just instinctive. Yeah. Um, And I think we've got a generation now where climate change, the environment, society, and the massive intergenerational inequalities that exist within our society really matter and housing is one way you can make quite a profound difference to people's lives yeah definitely (laughs) no kind of on the flip side to achievement what would you say is your biggest 
And so I just so like running up and all that soup with that honey up that honey round my rubber end. So what would you say in your soup of clothes for all you receive? Yeah, but I'm going to get that across the street. Yeah, the round table, the outfit is covered. Um, so what would you say your biggest challenge is that you've had to deal with in your professional career? I mean, I've, I've touched on that sense of um, the, well, I suppose to quote talking heads, how did I get here? Um, because there was never a great plan. Um, I think early in my career, and it is a long time ago, I think culturally it was a very different place. Yeah. And for women to progress. Yeah. Or anyone actually that you you class as a might a more diverse group to progress in the industry, it was challenging. So yeah. so back in in the day, I was one of the first female managers. It was probably the first or second female director of anything in the group. And they used to have. Um, I've always been on what we class as partnership side, but the bit about relationships and how you bring different partners together in in projects and they used to have this very well-renowned um christmas lunch for all the clients and partners and everything and in the initial years i used to have to organize it as a manager responsible and I used to get all of my people that i'm working with all the time in and then go and sit because it was a woman there yeah believe it or not and then once it was kind of well you are going to have to be there it's like i suppose so oh gosh yeah the, the, the first two years it used to be Lady and gentleman, and actually the second year, Mary and gentleman, um, and I'm painting it really black because actually, I never experienced deep rooted discrimination. Yeah, I was never held back because of my gender, um, but the industry was a very very different place to what it is today. We have our challenges today, but my goodness, you have to be a certain temperament yeah. to go to a construction site, you know, back in the day and really feel at at, at home. Mm-hmm. But it's also given me the most wonderful opportunities as yeah. a sector, mm-hmm. and so you know, I'd never regret it for a second. Well, you wouldn't be where you are today. That pays the answer. That's brilliant. And um, kind of what changes? Obviously, we kind of touched on it before, but what other changes would you like to uh, bring to the industry, including diversity and inclusion, or is there anything else? Um, I think the emphasis within the industry on genuine social impact mm-hmm. and looking at the footprint of of what we do as a business and how we can add value back is phenomenal. When I started my career in the private sector, yeah, you did the bare minimum you had to do to win the work, basically. So yeah. you had to offer apprenticeships out and offer some of them, and if you had to do a bit of work with schools, that's fine. And then being in the housing association sector, which are effectively social enterprises, yeah, huge ones, um, but they are about social impact at their heart. Um, I did wonder whether coming back into the private sector, we'd lose that. But actually, it's phenomenal what we're doing here um, and how much it's now starting to embed in how we think as a business as well. Yeah. And I think we're doing it for two reasons. I mean, we have something within Lovell that we call the Lovell Way, which is really about our culture and identity. And it's got the, the three three principles that we're easy to talk to and we listen mm-hmm. and we want to learn. That we show we care, and that's care for our customers, but also for for wider society and for our staff. But above all, that we do the right thing. Yeah. And that 
really is the cipher for business decisions. Mm-hmm. And each of the regions are very different, but each have done some fantastic work, which you'd class as a social impact, but they just class as well It's what we do. Yeah. You know, and so I think that's that's great. But the second side of it, well, it's the right thing to do for society. Yeah. We have to do this as a business and, and as an industry. We have got more people exiting yeah. construction and housing and a far bigger generation exiting through retirement and whatever. Yeah. Then we have just the size of the pool available to come into the industry. And we are competing, as, as I was saying before, against a lot of other career options. Yeah. So we've got to show that generation that we're not only here to invest for returns on financial capital Mm -hmm. that we understand about social capital and natural capital as well Mm -hmm. and actually we can work as a business and create benefits for all three we are commercial yeah we are here to make a profit we're part of a big plc but actually that scale means we can do some fantastic environmental initiatives and we can also work with some of the most vulnerable within our society and make a difference to their lives. That's really powerful. I think as well, uh, I remember seeing um, a uh, a research piece on kind of how the younger generation don't just look at a job description, they look at the culture of a business and kind of not just write yes, this is a job that I want to do. They want to know, well, more about the company itself. So kind of, I feel this though, as time goes on, it is, as you say, more important to make sure you've got those other sectors and that you are kind of investing in them for the candidate. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Because I think that impacts someone when they land in a business and they get that sense of culture. And again, you know, me coming from a, a sector where social value is so strong, I did think, well, how's it going to be? But actually, the culture here is phenomenal. The teamwork, wanting everyone to succeed, the lack of hierarchy and bureaucracy and everything was so refreshing. It's fantastic. So I think that that bit about culture lands, but it is that bit then about, I think, the younger generation now, their relationship with possessions is different. Yeah. You know, they don't buy videos and DVDs. They stream. A lot of them can't afford to own a home. They rent. They lease a car. So actually, I think their relationship with their employers, it's not this, oh, you know, I went in at 16 and I stopped there till my retirement. Yeah. It is about, right, where can this take me? Where do I want to go? And they consume, if you like, employment in a different way. I, I, I There's been a huge amount about the gig economy, which I think a lot of it was necessity and opportunity rather than lifestyle choice. Yeah. But you can see that, particularly in people's formative years in their career. It's not about, well, if I get my head down, I'll get a couple of promotions. They want to go at a really fast pace. And yeah. you've got to be able to give them that that challenge and support them, but also make sure they don't run too fast and that it's yeah. sustainable for them. Yeah. No, no, I, I totally agree with you there. Kind of looking back at your career, uh, is there anything at all that you would change or... um? I know obviously a lot of people don't say, say I have no regrets because I wouldn't be to where I am if I, I mean, did that, it by and said. Yeah, you know. that is absolutely true. I know I've been incredibly lucky with, with my career and my choice of employers. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had some amazing bosses. So in, in that sense, no, because as you say, I am where I am and I'm doing what I love yeah. after all this time. 
I think on a personal level, I was going through that bit. My my daughters are grown up and married now, but I was going through that bit as my career was really getting going of having to balance yeah. being mum. And I hope they both said I've been a really good mum. But I look back and there are memories that I've missed. Mm-hmm. You know, there are those things that I couldn't be at or there are things that we couldn't do. We did loads of stuff and you try and compensate in other ways. But I think it was a lot more difficult for women back then. I mean, yeah, my daughters still regale to anyone that will listen when they go on about bad parenting. They say, oh, well, this one. She used to, if we got up in the morning and go, oh, mum, I don't feel well. Well, look, can I drop you at school? Um and then get the school to ring me. And what it was, was if I did just run in and said, oh, the kids are sick. Yeah, mm-hmm. grey working women. Um, whereas if the school ran and I had to say to my boss, I've got to go, oh, you get yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know. And it, but then you shouldn't have to do that. I mean, so they'd be a child and oh, I told you that. Whether they'd gone to school or not, you should feel absolutely comfortable to say, look, I can't come in today. Yeah. My child is sick. Not having to wait for them to get well for you to get a phone call from the school to say your child's ill you need and you need to wait from home or you need to come and pick your child up so yeah it's i, I totally agree with you on that because i know my love weights when mine well when i was younger and when my sister was younger and she found it quite stressful to have to balance and thankfully we had grandparents who were able to do it but i can totally understand how you how to try and balance it must have been very difficult i think if i if it was slightly easier, was that I had them before my career was really going anywhere. So I had a job, mm-hmm. you know, and I had them when I, I, I was quite young. So in a sense, they grew with my career. And yes. so I had to make judgments on the way through. I can imagine it's a lot harder if you've already progressed and you, your career's going somewhere. And then actually you feel like you're pressing a pause button. Yeah. I think what it meant was it was just looking back. I do sit there and think, oh, did I actually managed that but you sort of found a way through it together yeah i i didn't in that sense have to trade compromise one for the other yeah and um, i had to manage both together mm-hmm. um but yeah it was certainly um could be interesting best <laughs> be interesting brilliant and so kind of obviously you mentioned before culture is a big thing for you and um, what traits would you look for in a potential candidate who you were interviewing for the long um I think enthusiasm, yeah, and genuine interest in what we're about as an organisation. Yeah. Uh, I've sat through many interviews over the years where some really good candidates will go into great detail about why they want to leave where they currently work in. You know, I feel like I can't progress any further or the business isn't doing this. And not the, well, if I come in and work for you, this is what I bring. Yeah. And this is the opportunity I think you, you can give me. So I think it's really wanting to come in and be part of the team. Yeah. Um, and have that enthusiasm. And I think some flexibility and resilience as well. Yeah, definitely. I think, well, even just having the enthusiasm, because I've been to be people before and the the shock I sometimes get when they haven't even looked into the business that much. And it's just like for an interview, like I always got told, firstly, look at the person who is going to be interviewing you in the first place, get to, to know a little bit about them, get to know a bit about the business, any new projects that might be happening, just to kind of 
at least have some sort of back forth. Yeah, like nice job. I can't wait to that. So shit. Yeah. Like, yes, this is the interest. And then, but I was just flabbergasted sometimes that they didn't have a clue. And it's just like, but surely this is interview prep. You can even Google interview questions. But you would think even five minutes before when you're kind of waiting that having just being that proactive, be like, right, yes, how do I stand up? Because I know a lot of people have degrees and of apprenticeships and things. We're all kind of very similar. So it's right, what makes you stand out if yeah. not everyone else? Not kind of not necessarily whining about their current or previous job, but you're there to sell yourself. Yeah, and I think it is that bit about showing the interest um, and asking questions and challenging because I think that is really important not to come in and say, right, you're doing it all wrong and this is when I'll be in a better place. This is how it's going to be. But that that sort of sense of of questioning, of wanting to learn, of of constructive challenge, of bringing something new. Yeah, Yeah, don't unsell yourself. Mm -hmm. but similarly, don't oh, oversell either. You know, it is about really being yourself and having that confidence to think, you know what, if I come into this role, I can really do something with it. <laughs> and show them that you are an inspiring person and that you, you can, you will take this job and not just kind of move forward with your career, but help the, the business as a whole. So, yeah. Yeah. No. Um, so for any inspiring candidates... Uh, looking to get where you are now what advice would you give them uh i go back to the bit about always question Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know always think about well i know we do things like this but is there a better way of doing it why do we we do that Mm -hmm. um and i think in all of the roles i've had and i think i'm sort of left hands on with projects i'm not running and delivering the big projects now i'm i'm sort of helping set up partnerships and, and joint ventures and, and so on. It is a, a slightly more hands-off role, but they've all been about relationships. Yeah. And I think, you know, Lovell is a partnerships business and we say that for, for a reason. We get our work through partnering with people, so we have to understand them. Mm-hmm. But if you're working in regeneration or if you're working in the kind of communities we are, it is that bit about you are having an impact on people's lives. Yeah. And it is about relationships and it is about building trust and it is about building confidence. Yeah. And I, and I think the measure of that is if people are working with you and you say something's going to happen, they believe it will. Yeah. And you'll be honest with them if it can't. Yeah. You've got to kind of either follow through with saying, yes, it's going to happen or that's going to have to be the apology and explain, right, we're unable to do this, but we've got hopefully X, Y, Z lined up to be able to kind of follow through with it in some way sort of thing. But yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's brilliant. Thank you very much, Mary. Um, it's been lovely to have you on the podcast. And, uh, Thank you. Um, yeah, I hope you have a good rest of your day there. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the GSC Executives Podcast. Today's conversation was hosted and recorded by Caitlin Ty, with editing and production managed by Stephen Smith. The podcast is produced by GSC Executives in conjunction with Daniel Owen Limited. For more details about our executive search solutions, as well as upcoming episodes, please visit our website, 
gscexecutives.co.uk. If you're keen to hear more industry insights, please consider subscribing on your preferred podcast platform. Until next time, continue to lead with excellence.